Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. The rest of you aren't either of us, but you're probably pretty psyched that since the last time you heard from us, the Yankees have gone on a nine-game winning streak. That's a series win against Chicago, a one-game sweep. That's what I'm calling it, a one-game sweep of the Angels, a three-game sweep of the Red Sox, and most recently what I'm also calling a three-game sweep of the Minnesota Twins before they were rained out uh, today, Sunday, by the hurricane that wasn't. Whipple, I know it's been a phenomenal week. This is the first podcast that we have in which we don't have a single loss to speak of. How are you feeling about this team? Well, I'm already preparing for the eventual, you know, 23 game win streak that they're going to go on and then how to reckon with the fact that the Twins game, if they were potentially to lose the Twins game, but it, it actually taking place earlier on or, or, you know, how do we count it? Do we count it as part of the original winning streak or the fact that it got moved to another week? Is it, you know, is it separate from that? You know, these are the kind of high level things that we need to think about because this team doesn't give us any issues anymore to ponder, to debate, to gripe over. I mean, the the worst thing that happened this week, I, I can't even think of it. You know, maybe the, the bullpen wasn't as strong at the beginning of the week as you, you might have wanted. But, you know, the offense was situationally hitting. The pitching staff has been excellent overall. And they swept the freaking Boston Red Sox, who are now sliding harder and harder as each week goes by. And I think right now they're two and a half games back of the Yankees. I mean, this is a team that we basically left for dead. And not everybody, but we were we were writing the obituary. We didn't want to complete it, but we were we were on our way to writing it a few weeks ago. And now I think the playoff aspirations are, you know, it would be a disappointment if this team didn't make the playoffs at this point. Um, it's all really exciting. Yeah, I mean, so I just I think it's important for us to put into context kind of the arc that this team has followed um, over the course of this year. So this team started off five and ten. Since then, they're 67 and 42, which is a hundred game per 162 uh, pace which is awesome. Uh, And that's about where we probably expected them to be. And they've done, they've played at that pace in spite of the fact that after 82 games, they were at 500. After, I mean, that's, that's, I really want to drive this home. The Yankees played their 82nd game. It was the first game of a doubleheader with the Mets on July 4th and Chapman came in and he blew the save and the Yankees ended up losing 10 to 5. They were 41 and 41. I tweeted after that game that the Yankees needed a 30 and 10 stretch to turn the season around. After that game, the Yankees went on a 31 and 11 stretch. I mean, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable the way this team has played their way not only back into playoff contention but back into like division contention. I mean, they were 10 and a half games back uh, after the first game of that doubleheader. And they are now leading the wild card, leading the wild card. They're first place in the wild card with a little bit of buffer. And they're only four games back in the division, despite the fact that, um, or rather, four and a half games, despite the fact that 
everyone who we'd like to see beat the Rays uh, just refuses to do so. Before this winning streak started, the Yankees were two games back in the wild card. Now they are two games up. Before this winning streak started, they were seven games back in the division. Now they're four and a half games back. They're making up ground on really good teams because even really good teams lose and the Yankees just haven't. But I really do want to emphasize the Yankees have a better record than the White Sox. The White Sox are thought of as an incredibly successful team this year. The Yankees are only a game behind the Astros, who are thought of as the best team in the American League. The Yankees would obviously be leading the NL East. The Yankees would be just a couple games back in the NL Central, and the you know Giants obviously are a different story. But the Yankees are are actually good. And this is the first time this year that we can really say that and have it be believed. But even after their terrible start where they were 5 and 10 in their first 15 or their terrible first half when they were, you know, 41 and 41 in their first 82, the Yankees are now, you know, pretty much just as good as any first place team in the league and it's getting incredibly difficult for me to believe that teams are actually better than they are and it's a different feeling too i mean i think the the fact of the you know the statistics that you broke down of the different stretches that they've had i think obviously the beginning of the year was terrible that middle stretch between the malaise of june and the malaise of april was great they obviously were playing well but i think we mentioned 23 and 9 yeah we mentioned this at the time it didn't entirely feel sustainable. I mean, they were winning a lot. Granted, this team is winning a lot of close games no matter what. But that team, you know, the May 2021 Yankees were basically pitching out of their minds. And the offense was doing just enough to get by, which is very much not the case anymore. This is such a more complete team. And obviously in June, we had the the beginning of the multiple bullpen collapses. And, you know, we have 10 worst losses of the year that came between June 1st and August 1st. But coming into July, you know, there wasn't a lot of optimism and they turned that around. But even at the end of July, after that Boston series, their record was fine, but they could not beat the teams in the big games. I mean, I think that's what we were saying. You know, they they had every opportunity to stick it to Boston and they just wouldn't. They were playing great against the Rays. They're playing better against the Blue Jays, but Boston had their number and the Rays, you know, at that point were it, it was pretty even. The difference between them post-trade deadline is they're winning really important games. I mean, to sweep that Boston series, I can't understate how important that was. Like, there are so many games in the, the year. You know, it's 162 games. It's a long season. But those three games had such an outsized importance based on where they were in the standings at the time and just the mentality. I mean, this is a team that kicked them to the curb time and time again throughout the first few months of the year. And they just... Yankees got up and kicked them right back and look at the Red Sox now. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Red Sox are, you know, a different team that we saw in the first half. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that I think they're done. I don't think they're coming back from this. Hopefully I'm not proven wrong, but I think a lot of that was they got their, you know, they got it handed to them against the Yankees last week. And that just completely killed a lot of their confidence. That's what other teams were doing to the Yankees. And this is a different team fueled by different guys and, you know, guys returning and stepping up. But it's just the feeling, you know, the statistics are there. The underlying stats have been there all year. We've talked about it. You've talked about it ad nauseum. But 
the the intangible part of baseball, the the grit, the the momentum. I mean, I was at the stadium on Saturday and I really have not been to a more carefree baseball game in a long time. I mean, it, from the minute I walked in, I think everyone there thought the Yankees were going to win. I think the Yankees thought the Yankees were going to win from the get-go, even when they were up one nothing in the fifth inning with the bases loaded for the Twins with one out. I mean, I don't, I've never really felt like they were going to lose that game. Whereas a few months ago, I think it would be, oh, here we go again. Even a few weeks ago, I think this week really has changed the narrative of this season. And Whipple... So first of all, I agree with a lot of what you've said, and I think there is a different feeling about this, uh, you know, thirty-one and eleven stretch than there was even about the twenty-three and nine earlier this year. It just feels like the Yankees are doing something that is, you know, they. It's it's. I think you know it's something I I started to talk about in the last week or so. Instead of finding ways to lose games, the Yankees are finding ways to win them. And whether that was jumping on the Twins early, as they did in the first two games, or whether it was, um, you know, putting together a big inning later uh, and leaning on Garrett Cole a little more, as they did on Saturday, whether it was really clutch hitting and incredibly good bullpen work. Uh, like they employed against the Red Sox to allow just five runs in three games. Uh, whether it was a well-timed homer, like it was when Joey Gallo went yard in uh, the bottom of the first against the Angels for the only two runs that the Yankees scored that day um, on Monday. You know, there is there is definitely a different feeling about this team, and I, I think it really boils down to it just feels like they find ways to win games. But what do you think what do you think is behind that? You know, as you know, I'm very much into the statistics and you know, I could be one of those people who says that, you know, I don't believe in clutch or um, you know, that these intangibles are kind of fake. I think I, I may be guilty of leaning into that a little bit too much at times, but you know, there's something, there's something going on here, right? This team is playing in a way that is obviously better than how they were playing in the past. So like, how do you explain why this team is so much better now than they were in the first couple months of the season? I think there's two parts to it. And I think it's all around the offense because I don't think the pitching or the bullpen, I mean, in the last few games, the bullpen hasn't epically collapsed. So that's good. But I mean, the Field of Dreams game, pretty epic collapse was just last week. And this team kind of picked itself up and just got right back to doing well. So I think it's around the offense. And I think it's twofold. I think the line of balance, and it's maybe something that some people said was important. Some people said, you know, don't care about right or left-handed, just get the best hitters. I think we're seeing now that the importance of line of balance, um, not just with lefties, it's with really good lefties. Like you need, you obviously need really good hitters, but you need good hitters on both sides of the plate because that's going to force teams to pitch in a different way. And it's going to lead to innings. Like the one that sticks out to me is the game against Boston, the first game of the doubleheader where Gallo had that huge walk to uh, in the later innings because they brought in, they brought in a guy to, you know, you can't bring in lefties or righties to completely neutralize the lineup. You have to bring in guys who, if they don't get their lefty out, they're going to have to pitch to a righty, 
you know, Voight, Stanton, who came through there because Gallo is a good enough hitter to take his walk against a lefty. And I think, you know, as someone who saw Adam Adovino and Garrett Whitlock uh, neutralize all the Yankees' righties quite a few times, I think there is a lot of truth to that. Like, you need a balanced attack. And Maeda was pitching on Saturday. Maeda was pitching really well. But um, the fact is they had the balance in the lineup with Rizzo and Gallo wasn't playing. But to stick Rizzo in between LeMahieu and Judge... That ultimately led to the rally that knocked out Maeda. I know he had an injury, but the, the rally that uh, allowed them to tack some runs on the board because you have a really good lefty who's going to take his walks in the middle of the righties. And, you know, when you have uh, righties who pitch well against righties and don't have to worry about the lefties, there's definitely a change in the way that they pitch to them. And I think that has just allowed for a more diverse attack. And it's allowed the righties to get in better matchups and for Stan and Voigt to do really well and succeed. And obviously Gallo and Rizzo are talented hitters on their own. So I think that helps. But it, the, the offense just seems so much more complete and so much more dangerous in a way that when you line up Gary, Judge, Stanton, and Voigt, which is like the killer combo that we all have loved and talked about, but was not coming through this year. And it wasn't because each of them were individually failing. It was just because they were getting put in situations that they weren't set up to succeed in the best way. And and I think the other part of it is, is the bottom of the lineup and the guys, you know, the it has more of a next man up feel, the, the 2019 next man up feel, where you have the Tyler Wades and the Andrew Velasquez is coming in. And for some reason, Tyler Wade is now an MVP candidate. So I don't know if we could have predicted that one. But when those guys are getting on base in the bottom of the lineups and impacting the game that way, the, you know, the bases are clogged for the good guys at the top of the lineups instead of having empty, you know, two outs, nobody on for DJ and Judge to come up. And it's just a different, you know, a different way they're going to get pitched to and a different impact they can have. So I think the lineup balance, which obviously the trade deadline had a huge part to remake that. And then just having guys like you, you can't predict that Wade and Velasquez are going to come up and be impact guys, but every winning team needs a little bit of that. And we saw it in 2019. We weren't seeing it this year because the guys that they called up when the original lineup was on the IL or on the COVID IL were just really terrible. And it's just so much different right now. I mean, again, Tyler Wade is like playing out of his mind. I don't understand it. Probably the most confusing part of this year. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to explain that one, but it's really helping the offense seem more complete. And I think to kind of summarize that, I think it's all around the offense. I mean, the pitching's been good all year. The offense is what is making this team run right now. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, a couple of very good points there. So obviously, whether you meant to call me out or not, I was definitely one of those people who said that lineup balance is probably overrated. But in that inning against Boston that you were referring to, we saw lineup balance come in very handy. Uh, so as you alluded to, the Red Sox had Garrett Whitlock in the game, who is you know a devastating righty and has given the Yankees a lot of trouble, um, you know, pretty frequently this year. And they had to take him out to um, to face Joey Gallo. So they brought in Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor walked Joey Gallo, and then had to face. Um, Voight and Stanton and that was just not a task that Josh Taylor was up to and if it had just been Voight and Stanton ready to you know ready to follow Judge then they would have stuck with Whitlock and you know that probably ends the inning so 
I think that was one instance where lineup balance came in super handy. And, um, you know, I don't want to understate how important it has been um, to this team. And I think it has honestly been a big part of what they've been able to do here. Now, what I what I do want to say is a couple things about Joey Gallo. First, the people who said the Yankees shouldn't get him because he's the same kind of hitter as Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge are wrong. Second, I think we would all agree. Well, he is the same kind of hitter. He's a really good hitter. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Uh, because he strikes out a lot. The people who said that uh, the Yankees shouldn't get him because he strikes out a lot are wrong. Second, um, we haven't seen nearly the best of Joey Gallo as a Yankee yet. He, I think his WRC plus is uh, in the high 80s as a Yankee. So I know I tweeted the inevitable Joey Gallo hot streak is here after he hit a couple of home runs against the White Sox and then hit that home run against the Angels. The Joey Gallo hot streak is going to be a lot of fun because that guy just hits the ball insanely hard all the time. And when those balls start, you know, going over the wall a little more frequently or finding the gap a little more frequently, it's going to be a ton of fun. On the Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez point, you're right. They have played really well at exactly the right time for the Yankees. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that they are still Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez. Whipple, do you know about batting average on balls in play? Oh, of course. Batting average... One of, one of the fundamental aspects of uh, statistics. It, it certainly is. And um, Tyler Wade has been the king of batting average on balls in play. Normally, you would expect batting average on balls in play to be, you know, a little higher than a good batting average because not every at bat ends with a ball in play and guys strike out a certain amount of the time and things like that. Tyler Wade's batting average on balls in play in the month of August is 600. And as John Sterling has continued to point out, it's a lot due, it's, you know, it's due in large part to the fact that he's been just slapping the ball the other way and teams insist on shifting against him because for much of his career, he just pulled ground balls and that's why he was never a productive offensive player. There are a couple of things about Tyler Wade. First, teams will stop shifting on him and, uh, you know, even if he continues to kind of hit to all fields, he still hits a ton of ground balls and we should not expect as many of them to get through as teams re-optimize their defensive alignments against him. Second, in the month of August, Tyler Wade is hitting 441, 525, 559, which is a 1.084 OPS. That's insane. It's a 205 WRC plus. He's been unbelievable uh there's this stat called isolated power which is slugging minus average and basically it you know effectively you can use it as a measure of how often hits are not singles so you know when is this guy getting extra base hits tyler wade only has three games in august in which he um, has 
a value above zero for isolated power. So he has four doubles. Those four doubles came in three games. Um, and those are the only extra base hits he has in the month. Um, he has a couple other doubles this year. What we need to remember about Tyler Wade is that he is a singles hitter who is getting really, really lucky right now. And he's getting really, really lucky at exactly the right time. But nothing has fundamentally changed about his offensive profile that should lead us to believe that he's going to suddenly become an above-average offensive player. Now, that's not what I expect from Tyler Wade. I expect Tyler Wade to be exactly the guy he's been before, a speedy, uh, defensively versatile bench piece. And he's going to be pretty freaking valuable as that guy. But like Tyler Wade, and I shouldn't have to say this, is not going to continue to uh, get hits on two-thirds of his balls in play or hit 441 or anything like that. And that's just is what it is. Andrew Velasquez is a different story because he isn't like an offensive juggernaut. He is... He's probably gotten a little bit lucky with some of his hits just because, you know, he doesn't rip the ball, but he's put a ball in the gap. He's hit a home run, which Tyler Wade hasn't done. He's played some phenomenal defense at shortstop, which has been a ton of fun. Um, He's stolen a couple bases. And look, Andrew Velasquez is just the coolest story. You know, kid from the Bronx, went to Fordham Prep. Favorite team was the Yankees, obviously. Now he's playing for them. You know, hit a home run at Yankee Stadium. He's part of this nine-game winning streak. Like, that's just so cool. And I'm so happy that Andrew Velasquez is uh, a part of this team and that he's contributing the way he is and all of that. And um, this also comes with a caveat. I saw some discourse on Twitter from people who I will not dignify by mentioning their names that Andrew Velasquez is part of the impending roster crunch for the New York Yankees. He's not. Andrew Velasquez has been a terrific next man up, but the idea that Andrew Velasquez has any claim on the shortstop spot over Glaber Torres is heinous. Yeah, I mean, I think... I Like, I... I know, I know you're right. I know it's a little tough because, you know, we've talked about how much Glaber has struggled this year and Velasquez is obviously doing well. Um, and I think that's kind of the reality. I think that affects Wade and Velasquez. Um, I think Wade has a better chance of staying than Velasquez. But I think the more we can limit the amount that they play and the more that we can either use them in smaller roles, specialized roles, or unfortunately not at all, um, I, I think that benefits the team. I think there's, you know, such a thing as, you know, too much of something. I think we've all seen a lot of Tyler Wade, and I don't think anyone expected this. And I think there can be too much Tyler Wade. I think if he keeps getting regular playing time, we will probably experience those feelings of frustration again. And the thing with, you know, th- the the stories out of nowhere, the Andrew Velasquez is, you know, maybe he's one of the success stories of, you know, becomes a great major league player, but. The Yankees aren't really in a position to find that out. We know Glaber Torres is talented. We know he has more experience. And he's just the starter. Like, I think that the fact that Velasquez could come back and take the spot over Torres is... It's something I really hadn't even considered until you brought it up. I think I just had operated under the assumption that Velasquez was gone when Torres came back or soon after that. Um, I do think the Tyler Wade experience is an interesting... You know, I think your points are interesting. 
Um, I think that Tyler Wade is probably going to have a higher BABIP than most people because of his speed. I think that he is is more likely to continue his success because I think his approach has definitely fundamentally changed, as you said. And I think he could be a weapon off the bench for them in the postseason. Um, I don't I don't think that you know him getting regular playing time, as I said, is a good thing. But I think that he has much more value when he's hitting like this, or you know when he recognizes the limitations of his game and what he should be doing to succeed. His legs are really changing the Yankees. I think the the speed element that he provides is something that every great team in the postseason has that guy off the bench. I mean, the 2009 Yankees had Freddie Guzman, you know, blast from the past, but he pinch ran for them late into the season and what in some of the postseason games. If that's what Tyler Wade does, if he comes and steals a base, you know, that's much more than I ever would have expected from him. Um, and I think that's really cool that he's going to have the opportunity ostensibly to do that um, because he was somebody who was kind of being, you know, left for dead, quote unquote, uh, a few weeks ago. But yeah, I think Velasquez is gone. Um, and I think it's a great story, but every team's, you know, has the great stories and they have the contributions from Velasquez already in the books. Like you can't take away what he's done. You can't t- take away his contributions to the team. And I think the mistake would be to think that's going to continue. So I agree with your point that there is such a thing as too much and to expect this outlier performance to continue over, you know, Glaber Torres as much as he struggled. We know he has the potential to do more than Andrew Velasquez. It's a tough thing to hear, I think, but it's true. Yeah. So look, I think I agree with your thoughts about Tyler Wade's position as the season rolls on. You know, he is a speedy, really good defender. He can play short, second, third, left, center, and right. He, um, you know, is the best pinch running option they have. He can steal a base. Uh, he doesn't completely ruin the lineup by being in it. Like, yeah, it, I, I kind of, you know, my go-to point of reference for, you know, this kind of guy is Terrence Gore on those really good Royals teams. But Wade, I think, has more positional versatility and can swing the bat a little bit better. And, you know, that makes him a really valuable guy to have on a postseason roster. Um, Andrew Velasquez, I agree. Look, you know, Tyler Wade has been playing for the Yankees since 2017 and is still younger than Andrew Velasquez. Like, I don't think anyone has any illusions about actually no I know people have illusions about who Andrew Velasquez is or how successful he has been or will be or what he can contribute to this team Andrew Velasquez has done exactly what he's been asked to do as like the fifth string shortstop for this team and I appreciate it but um yes I expect Tyler Wade to stick around much longer than I expect Andrew Velasquez to stick around um so look I think this has been an incredible week I don't want to spend any more time being negative about players on this team than I need to um one guy who I was a little bit negative about who uh got some negative media attention was Luke Voigt and Luke Voigt uh (laughs) instead of you know dwelling on that decided that 
since uh, game three against the White Sox, he would simply hit 500, 536, 962, which is, I believe, a 1498 OPS and a 306 WRC+. Um, Luke Voigt's been unbelievable. He has three home runs and 13 runs batted in in his last 28 plate appearances. He is... um, like he is 13 hits in that time. I mean, it's he's 13 for 26. It's unbelievable what Luke Voigt is doing. And look, as far as I'm concerned, the people who were calling for Anthony Rizzo to be the everyday first baseman are right. Uh, if it's about defensive innings at first base, Anthony Rizzo needs to be getting those. But look, Luke Voigt despite an incredibly low, uh, an incredibly slow start to the season, is already up to a 119. WRC plus, albeit in only, you know, something like 170 or 180 plate appearances. Anthony Rizzo is at 115 WRC plus. Um, The guy is just a phenomenal defender. And like, you know, you have that play uh, at the end of one of those Red Sox games where Velasquez made the diving stop and threw over to Rizzo who made a scoop. Like, I don't know if that play gets made with Luke Voigt at first base, but what I do know is the Yankees need to find a way to keep Luke Voigt's bat in the lineup and keep Anthony Rizzo's bat in the lineup and glove at first base. And there may not be a way to do that when they go to Atlanta for two games, but broadly the way to do that is to play Stanton, Judge, and Gallo in the outfield. And I think we're seeing some willingness to do that. I'm a little bit surprised that it's with Judge in center field and not Gallo, but I'm really glad to see the Yankees making it a priority to get both of those guys into the lineup and that they're willing to put Stanton in the outfield because they know that's what they have to do to put out the best possible lineup. Yeah, I mean, one of the more ridiculous things I think I've heard from a sports media commentator about a player is when I think Kim Jones said that Rizzo, or sorry, Voight should be benched because he said he wanted to play. I mean, That just boggles my mind that a player said they deserve to be in the lineup, to be a self-advocate. And the response is he needs to be quiet and get benched. I mean, I I get being deferential. I get being a team player. But there also is some element of you got to look out for yourself. And Luke Voigt is a freaking talented hitter who the only thing holding him back is injuries. Because since he's joined the Yankees consistently, second half of 2018, 2019 aside from the injuries 2020 when he led the majors in home runs and then this year you know in the last few games heating up aside from his three il stints he has been a fantastic hitter and that lineup that you described is so feasible and you know gun to my head right now that's the game one of the postseason lineup that's the wild card game lineup i think the yankees would be foolish to consider anything else i think this team prioritizes rest in a way that you're going to get everyone playing time during the year and you don't need to sacrifice anything to do that. Just rotate guys through. But game one of the playoffs, you need Rizzo, you need Voigt, you need all these guys in. And I think it's going to happen based on the fact that Stanton has played the outfield more and more. Um, I think they've grown more comfortable with that idea. And he's played in games where he doesn't, you know, maybe one of Rizzo or Voigt isn't playing. Stanton has still been out there. I think we progressed from him only playing the outfield in interleague to getting semi-consistent playing time out there so I think that's going to happen and I think Luke Voigt has made that happen he's backed it up he's backed up his bat with his words and or sorry he's backed up his words with his bat and um, credit to him because he's playing out of his mind right now Yankees would be stupid to 
bench him for being a self-advocate? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, Luke Voigt has been incredibly valuable to this team uh, in the last week in a way that, look, it's fair to say he wasn't for a lot of the season. But this is a guy who, as you mentioned, and as he mentioned, led the league in home runs last year, was top 10 in MVP voting, uh, you know, had an unbelievably good season. And he is, you know, starting to move in that direction now. Look, do all of his underlying stats look the way they have in his past few years with the Yankees? No. Is a lot of that probably injury related? Yeah. And is he mashing at a level that you just can't afford to take out of the lineup? Absolutely. And yeah, um, look, I'm happy to say it, it was Kim Jones and Sal Licata, right? Who were talking about how Luke Voigt should be benched for talking about how he deserves to be in the lineup. That's It's an insane take. Um, it's not an insane take to say that Anthony Rizzo also needs to be in the lineup, but it is insane to say that Luke Voigt, just for saying that he deserves playing time that he absolutely deserves, should be taken out. Luke Voigt deserves playing time just because he created my favorite shirt of all time. If you hear any noise, it's just me and the boys bopping. Excellent shirt that he wore to spring training and that I purchased for both of the co-hosts of this podcast and plan on wearing to any postseason game that I attend this year. And the boys certainly have been bopping Luke Voigt specifically, so that's been absolutely terrific. Whipple, I feel like I'm kind of good on the winning streak and what I'm seeing from this team, but unless you have anything to add, I think we can move on to a very special segment. I have one more thing to add. I think we need to do the Andrew Heaney apology. We can make it brief, but I just want to uh, hear your Andrew Heaney thoughts because the dude pitched great, and I was more, I've been more positive on Heaney. You kind of ragged on him last time. He is going to be a remember some guy because he pitched well against the Red Sox last week in an important game. Give me a minute on Andrew Heaney. And, um, you know, I sent you the apology form. You refused to fill it out. But maybe we can just have a, a brief conversation. Look, Andrew Heaney was phenomenal against the Red Sox uh, in the third game of that series when we needed him to be phenomenal. The bullpen was burnt out from the doubleheader the day before, and Heaney pitched a just an incredible game. He went seven innings, only gave up two hits, a solo home run early. Uh, he walked two and struck out four. I was very down on Andrew Heaney, and I think justifiably so. Um, Andrew Heaney did a few things in this start that we had not seen him do in prior starts. First, he limited his walks. It was um, only his second of his four starts with the Yankees with um, fewer than three walks and uh that was that was really important because clogging the bases against this Red Sox lineup would have been very bad. The second thing he did was he uh, he managed contact. So he only has three Statcast monitored starts with the Yankees, and he's lucky for that because of how bad those numbers would look um, from the Field of Dreams game. But um, 
his average exit velocity allowed between his Seattle and Baltimore starts was 91.6 miles an hour. In this start against Boston, it was 82.1. And that was able to cover up the fact that he wasn't striking guys out at the you know, 10.8 per nine clip that he had been over his first three starts as a Yankee. And that's what's contributed to the incredibly low batting average on balls in play that he allowed and the finally low home run to fly ball rate that he allowed. Now, Andrew Heaney had a 4.75 FIP, which is exactly in line with his, um, with his season stats and a 5.42 expected FIP, which is worse than the average of his first three starts as a Yankee. So while I am fully happy to admit that Andrew Heaney pitched an incredibly good game exactly when the Yankees needed him to do so, the idea that Andrew Heaney is a fundamentally different pitcher than he was in his first three starts with the Yankees is wrong. And I tweeted the Heen Dog Bump Day video. I made good on my bet with Ryan Garcia. But look, the notion that this is a different Andrew Heaney that we're seeing is not going to fly with me. Well, I, I respect that you tweeted out the video. And yeah, I mean, I think that my optimism on Heaney is that he's going to be mediocre, not terrible. Um, but, you know, it only takes one start to go down in Yankees lore. And man, that video is something else. I'm glad it is circulating the internet because it is a wild thing. And to have Heen Dog Bump Day not be ironic and self-deprecating uh, for one game only against the Red Sox in one of the most important games of the year. I'll take that. He can go retire right now. He's a, you know, true he's a true Yankee in my book. And you do not have to comment so, on that. <laughs> I I won't. What I will say is that between the rainout and um the upcoming off day, the Yankees have enough starting pitchers between Garrett Cole Jamison Tyone, Jordan Montgomery, Nestor Cortez, and Luis Heal, that Andrew Heaney does not need to start any more games for this team. And given the quality of lineups that they are going to see in the next two series against Oakland and uh, LA, the next two series that Heaney could potentially pitch in, um, I... I'm very concerned that they're going to put him out there anyway. And um, I think it's fair for me to ask you where Andrew Heaney fits among the six currently eligible starting pitchers that the Yankees have. I mean, he's six. I'm Again, I, my aspirations are not high for him, but I, I just I enjoy the Heen Dog Bump Day experience, and he's contributed to two wins, and... I think it's kind of the same thing as Wade and Velasquez at this point. I think, you know, you take what you get, you don't expect more, you thank him for his service, and then you shoo him out the door. Do you think Andrew Heaney should make another start for the Yankees? Um, this week, I think that the off day will allow them to escape doing that. Um, but I think if they are in a situation where they need another starter, I think he should. Not the postseason, but I think in September he absolutely should. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, Whipple, I think we've covered everything there is to cover except for one very important thing, and that is that this podcast is going to feature the debut of the second half of Dad Take or Bad Take, this time featuring your dad. I'm very excited. It was a super fun interview. Uh, We got Doug Whipple on the pod. It took some weeks of convincing, um, but he was really excited to join me, and we talked a little bit about the game we went to. We talked about our shared experience as a Yankees fan, and he, he gave a little background on his how he became such a big Yankees fan. Um, so I won't say any more. Let's just roll the tape. I think everyone's going to enjoy it. So welcome to the special edition of Dad Take or Bad Take for Yankees Fouls. A few months ago, you heard Will talk to his dad, and now I'm lucky enough to be joined by my dad, Doug Whipple. How are you doing, Dad? Hi, Alec. I'm great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course. So this is a pretty timely segment as uh, I moved to D.C. this weekend, and my dad and I managed to stop at the Yankees-Twins game yesterday to see the Yankees win their ninth game in a row which was a great time. The Yankees have been playing excellently, as we've talked about on the previous segment. And we got to see uh, some great hits, some great pitching, and just all-around great game. So what was your favorite part of the game? My favorite part was finding out that we are going to go to the game in the morning. It was a last-minute decision, and it was a great one. And the fact that I got to go with you once again was awesome. What about seeing Garrett Cole pitch? Because um, I'll, I'll let everyone know that uh, my dad and I have seen Garrett Cole pitch together twice, and Garrett Cole has been rocked twice before this game. He gave up six runs against the Tigers and last year, and then gave up six runs at Fenway when we went in June. But this time he pitched pretty well. So uh, I, I think now it's official that we're not bad luck anymore, and we're not a curse on Garrett Cole. Did you enjoy watching Garrett Cole pitch? I did, finally. That- it was awesome, and I knew it was going to be a good game for Garrett when I saw the flag in center field, the flags not blowing out to the train. And the fact that it was that the wind wasn't whipping out like it was in Lakeland for spring training when we saw Garrett pitch in, and then when we saw him pitch again at Fenway and it was a disaster, I thought, hey, this guy has got to show something, and wind can't use the sticky stuff. Come on, show me what you can do. And I, I was very pleased. It was it was a great, great performance, and we had a great time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because Garrett Cole pitched like the worst minor leaguer in baseball the previous time, so we finally got to see him pitch well together. So you talked about spring training, and uh, let, let's talk a little bit about spring training. And We've been a few times, and uh, we went last year before the pandemic canceled uh, most of the season and led to a shortened season with no fans. So we actually saw three baseball games in 2020 when – Nobody really saw any. Uh, what's your favorite part of spring training, having been twice and tentatively planning to go next year? What do you enjoy the most? Man, just to come out of hibernation, escape the New England weather, and, and get down to Tampa and see our beloved boys in pinstripes. Uh, it, you know, it's just it's a great moment to spend with my kids. And my boys and my wife and daughter, we have a great time. But I'll tell you, it's it's such a cool thing to do every year with your kids I hope every dad gets to do it with their sons because it's really memorable, a memorable time. Yeah, it's something we've had a lot of fun doing over the years. Um, you know, Despite Garrett Cole giving up six runs in Lakeland in two innings, uh, that was one of the more fun games we've been to just because 
it was it's cool to go on the road and explore a new city. I mean, we've been to Tampa, we've been to Lakeland, been to Orlando. I think in the future we want to go to Clearwater. So it's fun to kind of hop around Florida and uh, see all the different cities and get to see the Yankees before pretty much everyone else does. So yeah, looking forward to going back in the future. So let's let's talk a minute about the 2021 Yankees. Uh, you know they they started off slow. We saw obviously saw them get rocked at Fenway, uh, and then now they're playing great. So what's your expectation for the rest of the year. How far do you think this team can go? Oh my God, this team is giving me <laughs> such a peptic ulcer. I've had to call my GI doctor and up my dose of Nexium. I mean, these guys are, it's a new team that I watched yesterday. And I, I couldn't believe it was the same team I watched at Fenway several weeks before just get obliterated and shut down. So it, it really is, it really is encouraging to see the guys perform. And I'm, inspired now uh, for the second half, finally. <laughs> like many displeased Yankee fans who wanted to, you know, reorganize the whole team starting from the top down. And, and so, you know, the fact that they've got guys coming up, especially guys like Velasquez, what an inspiration to see these young kids, especially a kid from Fordham Prep and his, his family there at the game and have him, you know, finally get one out of the park and, I mean, it was just a phenomenal day uh, for me to be with my son, and uh, it, was a, it was a great day, uh, but awesome performance by Velasquez. Yeah. Not, not such an awesome awesome performance by Adore, but <laughs> yeah. still a cool moment in time. I've never seen that before. I have to say, you know, seeing Odor homer and then instantly realizing what happened, I, I think the whole stadium, if the game was any closer, that stadium would have been booing for innings after. I think we could laugh about it because it was a 6 nothing game, but what a weird play. It's really, it proves you see something at the park you've never seen before pretty much every time you go. And I think if they play like that, you know, <laughs> if they don't reverse any more of their home runs by calling timeouts, they're going to have a good September, October, hopefully. Yeah, you're right about the mindset. I mean, the fact that, that we had a, a, a nice cushion to, to play with, uh, even though no lead is safe, especially with you guys, guys in the bullpen that haven't been able to hold it together. But boy, what a what a what a nice day it was at the park. And I wish they played a doubleheader yesterday because, for the love of God, you know they could have. Uh. But, but but the fact that we got to see a full you know nine inning game and didn't get cut short at the seven inning doubleheader. Mark, uh, that was cool. I'm glad since we came in late, we're, you know, last minute traveling up to D.C. Very cool that we got to see a full full game. And, and uh, what, what, a, what a nice what a nice team I'm watching there finally. Yeah. So speaking of the tough losses, I know we've been, you know, talking about a bunch of them. And I, I FaceTimed you at the end of the game I went to and Chad Green blew it. And he, you saw how excited I was and that you heard how devastated I was. Uh, but another game we listened to was, again, Chad Green blowing to the game to Jose Altuve and the Astros, and we were listening to on the radio, and I know you were upset that Chad Greenwood pitched to the Astros. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that game? I mean, my, I'm always just armchair quarterbacking the decisions that, I don't know if it's coming from Aaron Boone or, or higher up, it's being sent down, but why in the world would you pitch to, to Altuve? Just either put him on when you got runners on the corners, put, put him on, you know, with a walk or, or you know, send a message, because the guy hurt you before and you let him hurt you again, but... Hey, that's now. I think we can all say rearview mirror stuff. We're moving forward. We're boy, did I come back with a positive uh, vibe with the, uh, being at the stadium. Finally, being at the stadium and not being at Fenway, where I haven't seen. I had only seen games until a pre prior to spring training. So it's so, certainly nice to be back in 
and home territory. That's that's how I always feel when I get go back to Yankee Stadium. Yeah, it felt great to be singing New York, New York at the end of that game. Oh, nothing like that, man. What a what a great song is compared to. Hey, nothing against Sweet Caroline <laughs> and Neil Diamond, but come on, man. Frank Sinatra rocking. There's nothing that can beat that in my mind, anyway. For sure. So, uh, you know, before before we go, uh, I wanted to ask you about a little bit, I guess, because you made me such a big Yankees fan. I guess your Yankee fan origin, you know, growing up in California, how did you get to love the pinstripes as much as you did? Because as many people who are probably listening to this podcast know, you are a religious Yankees fan. Yeah, I mean, when I moved to uh, New York in my third year of medical school, and we take the subway, the, the, the four train to games from where we lived in Van Cortland Park. I went with my roommates, and uh, that was when uh, Buck Showalter was at the helm, and Donnie Baseball was at first base, and Jeter was just coming up. And oh my God, what a, it, it, it! I just fell in love with the, the, the team. Um, and it, it's all about, you know, what you feel is right. And I just feel like the organization, everything that was, they were doing was right, even though they weren't winning. It just felt right. And then when everything started to click, uh, it really got into my uh, got into my uh, into my you know blood the fact that the Yankees were winning consistently with the with the core four. So you know taking Alec to the old Yankee Stadium was memories I'll never forget um, and smells both of us will never forget. <laughs> uh, but you know seeing playoff games at the old Yankee Stadium with Andy Pettit on the mound against the Sox. Um, and going with my buddy John, uh, was wearing his Trotnich in Jersey, and fans were threatening his life on the subway train. And I told him to flip it inside out. And you know, I mean, it was just a fun, fun, intense rivalry back in the day. And it's becoming a little, it's become a little less intense, but but it's still a great rivalry and a great, uh, a great team. Especially uh, now that I get to see games with Alec, that he's not such a little guy and and can truly appreciate the games and stay the entire. And wants to stay the entire nine innings, not just bail after a couple, because you know he got his uh, Yankee paraphernalia and and, and sweets, and, and then we're you know. I don't know what you're talking about. I can I, I think I've never done that. I've always been a diehard fan. But you had to start somewhere, and I knew you know. That's a, I didn't want to you know overdose you on on Yankee baseball when I was really hooked on it, and then after after the third fourth years of medical school, it just it just got into my into my you know my blood basically so um every time i uh get a wound i, I look at and look to see if i'm bleeding pinstripes and i and I, in my mind i am so diehard yankee fan i have become yeah and i mean it extends to spray painting a yankees logo in our backyard for the wiffle ball field which you religiously took care of when we were playing there yeah i continue to this day to um, <laughs> continue the tradition and you can see it on google earth if you you know check our house out it's it's pretty cool to see that uh interlocking uh, well, the NY logo in, in our in our backyard. So, yeah, yeah, it's just something that I wanted to, to pass on, especially our neighbors across the street were initially Red Sox fans, and I wanted to tick them <laughs> off. And it, I think mission was accomplished, but it was only good fun. I mean, yeah. it's all about good heart, a good hearted rivalry. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny that it's gone to the point where uh, you know Mike Golick, who lives in our neighborhood, mentioned uh, crazy things sports fans do on Mike and Mike. He said. Some guy in my neighborhood painted a Yankees logo in his yard, so we are, you are somewhat uh, famous. Yeah, it, was, it was cool seeing Mike. Every day, Mike would walk by with his wife, Chris, on his afternoon walk, and you know he would comment every now and again. And so I, I thought it was, it was cool to be recognized by uh, one of the, a, a person I really respected 
the, the two mics. Yeah, and you know, like you said, you kind of passed this all on to me, and we've been to so many great games together. I think most of the great games of my life I've been to with you, Game 1 of the World Series 2009, Hideki Matsui Honoring Day in 2013, uh, seeing Glaber Torres hit a walk-off in a five-run comeback against the Blue Jays in 2019, and then this weekend's game. So I think, you know, we haven't been to a playoff game since Game 1 of the 2009 World Series, uh, but it might be time to go back this year. I, I've never been to a playoff game with you, and the fact that we got to go to Game 1 of the World Series, Phillies, Yanks, that was CC Cliff Lee. That was awesome. And Christopher, your brother, was a Red Sox fan back in the day, and that game turned him to the back to our side. It was just a cool, very cool, memorable moment. Um, and I really want to relive and recapture that again. Because, good Lord, 2009, how many years ago was that? It's, uh, 12 years too long. Oh, we need to yeah. get back. So Absolutely. But, yeah, so, you know, this has been awesome. Uh, obviously, we talk about the Yankees off this podcast, my dad and I. We spent about a six-hour car ride talking about the Yankees yesterday. Um, but it was, I'm glad, you know, to get to share some of these experiences and memories with uh, all of you guys. And do you have any final words, final thoughts, or words of inspiration about the Yankees or life? I mean, in general, the fact that I'm continuing to share these baseball moments with you and your brother and mom and sister, this is what it's all about. And I, and I know uh, that's, it's what inspires me. In spite of the, the fact that they haven't won a title since 2009, it's still an awesome team. And the fact that they're coming back has really inspired me. Honestly, the first half of the season, I was not. <laughs> None of us were. Not the fact that I wasn't a Yankee fan, but damn, I just wasn't willing to spray, spray paint the logo on the backyard for a while. It just was fading out, and I thought the team was fading out and throwing it in. Uh, you know, and, I, and, and to hear Garrett Cole say the other day that they always believe in themselves. I, I like the guys to step up and say like things like that, even when they're hurt, and even when they get COVID-19 and they're going to the IL and whatever, whatever excuse or whatever. It's nice to see and hear guys step up and be leaders. And, and I know this team has something that they can carry on into the postseason. And how many wins are we looking at possibly this year? 90? Well, I think we're on pace for 94 and uh, only improving if they keep winning every game. It's going to go up. That's what they need to do. And I, and I think maybe A.A. Ron Boone can lead them <laughs> to the promised land but, you know, out of the nightmare of dreams. I mean, the field of dreams. But, <laughs> but it's it's been a, a fun season at, at this point, starting now. <laughs> Um, but stressful, but fun. stressful. It's been a stressful season, but yeah. that's what that's life. That's yeah, the, that's what baseball is all about: it's sharing uh, memories with your family and, and kids, and and, and it, it is uh, part of life, and it's part of my life. And I've been proud that that you've uh, in, uh, just taken it to heart and and done such a great job with your uh, interest and knowledge in this sport. I mean, way surpassing mine, hands down. But I, I, it makes me proud. So good job, Alec. Oh, thanks, Dad. And Will, too. Good job, Will. Sorry, <laughs> Will is happy that you came on the podcast. He has been asking for weeks. So look at this. We've got you on, and what a great 15 minutes this has been. Uh, yeah, thanks, Dad. And, uh, well, if they win the World Series, I think we might have to have you and Mr. Harris on for a joint dad take or bad take because that would be quite, quite, a, quite a way to cap this stressful year. That would be cool. All right, we are back. A terrific dad taker bad take featuring one of the top two dads on this podcast, Doug Whipple, uh, someone who we've been trying to get on the podcast for a long, long time and someone who I'm really glad 
we were able to get. It's a phenomenal interview, and uh, I'm sure that you all enjoyed it a lot. Now, Whipple, you know this, and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. Every week, we like to end our podcast with uh, our confidence out of 10 in this team. And given that the Yankees are on a nine-game winning streak since we last did this, I suspect that our numbers may be going up here. I've been at an eight and a half for a few weeks. I'm going to have to upgrade that to a nine after you know the team has started getting healthy. They got Gary Sanchez back from the COVID IL. Gio Urshela has started a rehab assignment. Um, you know, I'm just seeing a lot of stuff I like in addition to, you know, the emergence of Albert Abreu and Clay Holmes coming back and Wandy Peralta becoming a trusted piece of the bullpen. It just feels like everything's coming together at the right time. And after a nine game win streak, how could I justify not moving up? I'm at a nine this week. Yeah, I'm also at a nine. I mean, my confidence in this team has never been as high as this. I think for all the ups and downs at the beginning of the year, um, this team is now achieving something that I don't think I thought was possible three weeks ago. We've talked about it for an hour now, but it's such a complete performance and it feels so sustainable. I mean, this team looks like they're top of the American League right now. I know the Rays are ahead of them. I know the Astros are ahead of them, like we said, but I just feel like if they've gotten a matchup with those teams, they're going to win. Like, I just have a great feeling about the Yankees, and I'm going to go with a nine as well. Well, it's great to see you finally joined me up at the uh, high level of confidence. I think the Yankees have absolutely earned that. I'm excited to see what happens during this coming week. Uh, They have six games, two against Atlanta, four against Oakland. They've been playing incredibly well. Um, You know, at some point, I imagine they're going to lose, but maybe they just won't. And then that question about how you account for that Twins game that's been postponed but was supposed to happen during the win streak uh, entirely goes away. But look, I mean, this team's been phenomenal. It's been so much fun. Just as we said on our episode after the trade deadline, like those last 50 games, which we're now getting into or which we're now well into, uh, we're going to be a ton of fun. The Yankees have started off... uh, in a really exciting way with some huge series wins, some sweeps, nine wins in a row. You just can't say enough positive things about this team. They're winning in every facet of the game. They're doing it in a ton of different ways. Uh, everyone's playing at what feels like their highest possible level, even though we know that some guys are still due to break out even more than what we've already seen. Uh, It's an exciting time to be a Yankee fan. And, you know, for a long time, we were saying things like, you know, what a terrible year to start a Yankees blog. And we were worried about, you know, if this team, which we always thought was good, was just running out of time. uh, We were worried about Brian Cashman not making moves. And everything has just come together in this great way to finally give us the team that we always knew we had. And I'm just so pleased with how the Yankees are playing and so excited for the rest of this season because they could really make a run at this division if they get even just a little bit of help from some teams that are playing the Rays. They now have a two and a half game lead uh, in the wild card. The A's game ended as we were recording this and Gio Urshela's two for three with a double in his first rehab game. Um, things are coming together really nicely and I'm really, really excited to see uh, how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I mean, listen, last series of the season, Rays at Yankees, if it's within three games by then, 
that's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. I believe I'm going to be at one of those games. So something to keep an eye out for. Well, Whipple, it's been terrific. Dad take or bad take was awesome. The Yankees are on a nine game winning streak. Let's just make it 15. Let's go Yankees.